welcome to Attachment Theory in Action. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists who are working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Interviews are conducted with individuals who are doing clinical work, as well as leading attachment theory researchers. Your host, Karen Doa Buckwalter, will introduce you to Evangeline Munz, who will discuss the applications of group theraplay. Dr. Munz is a certified trainer and supervisor with the Theraplay Institute, Association of Play Therapy, and the Canadian Association of Play Therapy. She has led numerous workshops nationally and internationally, has authored two books plus many articles, supervises, and has won several national awards for her work. And now your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter. Well, hello, everybody. I am back with the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. And today I am really excited about the guest that I have. I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Evangeline Munz. Um, she is a person that has been involved with TheraPlay for many years, um, also other forms of uh, child therapy, and uh, she's also been very active as a registered play therapist, a very, very active with other play therapists, and may have been our first Canadian TheraPlay therapist. I'm gonna to have to double check that with her or at least one of the early ones. So Evangeline, Dr. Munns, thank you so much for being here with me. And anything else about your background that you would like to share, your your education background or, or how you started this kind of work, I'd love for you to share. Uh, all right, I um, well, I was a non-directive play therapist. That's the way I first started working. And then I uh, went to a workshop um, with Dr. Ann Gerber, the founder of Play Therapy. And I was so impressed with it because um, I thought uh, TheraPlay works directly with the parents. And in my experience working with children, uh, where you got the greatest change is if you could really work very directly with the parents. Now, non-directive, you know, you, you really concentrated on the child, and occasionally you had counseling sessions with the parents, but the main work really was focusing on the child, therapist and child. Whereas in TheraPlay, well, you had real good interactions with the parents. They were there to observe the therapist working with their child, and then directly involved with their child and I really liked that I got very excited by that and I thought I'm going to pursue more training in this and 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 Jernberg really encouraged me to do that and so uh, going to Chicago to the Institute was expensive for me so I decided hey a lot of other Canadians will want to learn about this so I had actually Anne and Phyllis Booth co-founder of Therapy come to uh, to Canada, come to Ontario, and they did a workshop for us, a level one TheraPlay workshop. And during that level one TheraPlay workshop, Anne and Phyllis just uh, had me get up and do a presentation. Whoa, I didn't know that that would happen, but anyway, <laughs> I went talking on, and Anne, uh, particularly Anne, encouraged me to maybe think about becoming a trainer in therapy somewhere down the line. And Phyllis was very supportive too, Phyllis Booth. And Phyllis Booth, in fact, became my supervisor. Uh, and she was wonderful. If you ever 
I mean, she she was so good in supporting me, but also she'd nail it right on if I was not doing something that maybe was not the best to do. So I just uh, admired her so much and still do, and I admired Anne very much as yes, well. Yes, yes. So I'm rattling on about this background. Anyway, eventually I did become a certified trainer in therapy, and now... I, I train people, you know, I do workshops all over the world. So it's very exciting for me to still be, <laughs> still be involved. <laughs> yes. Do you happen to recall the approximate year that that workshop in Canada was? Well, I'll tell you what, I know that I started doing therapy around 1985. Okay. Okay. So, and so my, my um, contact with Phyllis and Ann was just briefly before that, probably 19. 1990, 1984, 1983. Okay, okay. So it goes back a long, long way. Yes, yes. And, you know, I could really relate to what you were saying about Phyllis Booth because she did my supervision also along with Sandra Lindemann. And she was very encouraging and gentle, but also at the same time was able to say, Karen, why are you talking so much to this child? Don't you see when you're moving around, things are going better? Uh, you know, so she just had, you're right, she has this way of, of, a gentle way of encouraging, but also, okay, now, you know, this is, yeah. this is what you could do differently. And it's so important when you're learning something new like that. To, yes. to have both of those. So so you know, we had the structure and the nurture and the challenge and the engagement, right, in our supervision. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the wonderful thing is you could take, I could take any criticism from her because basically she was so supportive, mm -hmm. right? Right. That's really accepting and supportive, then you can take the criticism. Yes. And then on top of that, her criticism was right on, like it was so accurate. So you could identify with what she was talking about. So, yeah, she is someone that I truly, truly admire. Yes, yes. Um, I think so So many people do. She's a, a really um, wonderful individual. So, And so then, you know, I know that um, we want to get to in a minute your work with their play groups, but, you know, maybe just a little bit about Blue Hills and what was going on there at the time and and how it eventually occurred to you to maybe think about more group therapy. Yeah, well, at Blue Hills uh, Child and Family Services still is a, mental, a children's mental health agency. And uh, they um, uh, have children coming uh, right from, well, we even had, we even worked with um, mothers and their infants. So really uh, from when I was there, from infancy right through to uh, teenagers, okay? Now, I would say that that was not, we didn't specialize working with infants, it's just that I had a group with mothers and their infants. But typically, I would say that um, most of the children were maybe from about two years of age to 18. And there was so a, a day program as well as a residence program. And the residence program, of course, were children that could not be maintained at home or at school. Um, and so we did peer groups therapy with them as well. Um, but we started out, I was a consultant psychologist at the time to the preschool program that was um, uh, had children really from about two years of age to six years of age. And um, I, oh, so I started group therapy because, again, I wasn't there full time as a consultant. Mm -hmm. And 
had a lot of people, a lot of kids on the waiting list, and I thought, well, I'll try group therapy because that meant simply that you could really see a lot of clients at the same time. Right. Well, <laughs> we say uh, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So. Right. And. Um, you know, uh, as I've just mentioned before, it was so successful because the children all had really a lot of emotional, social problems. We had some children on the autism spectrum. We had a lot of acting out aggressive kids, a lot of behavior disordered kids. Um, and um, so, um, and we had teachers, of course, that were good and, and trained to uh, try to help them. Um, so I, the way I started out, I said to the teachers, get this, oh, and here I had had just level one therapy uh, training. I said to the teachers, well, I'd like to try group therapy. Give me your most troubled, aggressive kids. <laughs> for this group oh my god can you imagine i tend to be quite an optimistic person so uh they were very happy to oblige me yes i'm sure they were if nothing else to have a break break from that group of children for a little bit exactly yes, exactly who and were challenging the, in the in the classroom the, the whole group the whole group was uh, like the classroom was about oh 25 to 30 kids but so i had i started out with about eight kids all right which is a fairly large group and one of the teachers was my co-therapist all right so that's we started out and the group actually went so well now you know you often have a honeymoon period in groups as you do with individuals but anyway the group went so well that the rest of the kids wanted to be part of it see see we were still in the classroom in a corner but the other kids were doing free play or whatever but they the other kids wanted to be part of it and then the 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 teachers that were involved in helping me they felt that the that the children were benefiting they could see the aggression was going down and also the teachers felt connected more connected to their kids so they were you know with all these other children wanting to be part of it they actually suggested i'm not sure if it came from me or from them that we would do group therapy with the whole class 25 to 30 kids and all of the teachers well that was um i learned a lot yeah. particularly with such a large group that you had to put in more structure yes uh, you know and you had to really be consistent with your uh, rules and um, thank goodness that in therapy there are, you know, clear rules that, um, you know, especially the um, um, no hurts, the, you know, yeah. the rules, you know, uh, particularly with that group. But what did happen out of it is um, the children started to know each other's names uh, sooner. They, uh, the aggression went way down. And the lovely thing was that the children started to take care of each other. Like if some child had an accident, um, I'm talking about a physical accident, a physical hurt, the children would say, oh, bring out the lotion, bring out the lotion, because in group therapy, we lotion the, the hurts on the hands, right? And um, at first, and this is all a learning thing, we would have the teachers 
do the lotioning, for example, of the hurts and do the feeding of the children. But then later on, we had the children, because they wanted to do this, we, we had the children lotion each other's hurts and we had the children feed each other. So what was happening is the, ch the children were learning to take care of each other. It was um, peer support. It was learning to you know other kids ex existed too and it wasn't just being competitive it was caring for each other and which i think is really lacking in our society to tell the truth mm -hmm. with such, such a, an emphasis on achievement yes. that uh, when there when that happens there's a, there's a we bolster the selfish kind of aspects of ourselves we need so much more of that caring for each other and that caring for each, for each other should start earlier on mm -hmm. than, than mm -hmm. what happens. Mm -hmm. So, um, so anyway, that, so I had a very good experience with actually doing group therapy and that was my first experience. Yes. Well, and I think, you know, we do make a point of sharing that group therapy has some significant differences from individual therapy and i think that if a child really really needs individual therapy it, it may not um be able to just replace that with a group on the other hand a group's not going to hurt any of the children you know they're going to enjoy it and and like you're saying they're they're going to um, build better peer relationships and feel you know more connected to each other you know with our no hurt stick together and have fun and another thing that i was thinking um and i want to get into some of your other different other groups that you did but another thing that i was thinking just when you were speaking was in many countries there's not going to be the opportunity to have therapists for children in, in many in, in many countries and i'm thinking you know um i was in liberia for a while um after three civil wars and you know lots of trauma and and things like this but there's not a mental health system that is set up you know the way we are in some countries and so in those countries i think group therapies can be very very useful also Absolutely, and I want to just respond to that. Uh, you know, I've uh, taught level one and level two to um, two therapists. Uh, one is from Italy, Claudio Mochi, and another one from Switzerland, Isabella Cassina. And uh, they came to some of my trainings here in Canada. Anyway, they both have level one and level two therapy. And they also are um, disaster workers. Like, they go through the different disaster centers of the world. Uh, Claudio is a psychologist and... Um, actually president of the Italian Play Therapy Association. Anyway, they had their own, they formed their own kind of a play therapy um, association and they go all over the world now. They used to, like Claudio and Isabel used to work for Red Cross who go to the disaster centers all over the world. Um, Claudio worked also for uh, uh, Physicians Without Borders. Okay, yeah. so again, going into the disaster areas of the world, and they were, um, you know, both uh, really liking therapy, started using therapy activities with the, um, you know, in different parts of the world, and, it, and where there have been disasters, and I think that they are actually doing some group work as well in doing therapy. I'm not 100% sure about that, but for sure individual therapy, therapy they are. Mm -hmm. in, uh, and, and they go regularly to Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. they've, they've been uh, oh well various places there mm -hmm. but 
though you were saying in other countries that they don't maybe um well you're right they don't have therapists uh, to do this work but there are some of the workers like claudio and isabella that are doing that in yes Bitterheart. yes and you know another thing is um theraplay um historically had success even if it was not only delivered by trained mental health professionals and of course you know, I'm not minimizing the importance of that and, and having a license and having supervision, but um, there are circumstances where, you know, it's a different kind of system or maybe the resources aren't available for that and and others, you know, could potentially be offering some groups like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so Evangeline, I'd like to ask you uh, some of the other different types of groups that you, you've either been involved with yourself or um, and you have two books on application of TheraPlay, you know, ones that even if you weren't involved yourself that you're aware of, just to give some people some ideas, like maybe a, a, a group like this they could do and they had never thought of it. Right, right. Okay, well, you, are you thinking about my parent-child groups and my multiple family groups? Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, again at Blue Hills, we had this very long waiting list. And so um, I thought, all right, let's see if we can do some parent-child groups. And again, you know, the one thing that happens in groups that I think it is so great, the parent-child groups, that the parents really supported each other because often they had similar problems and so uh, they were learning from each other they could give suggestions to each other it was great and i always um in my uh, parent child groups i always included uh, parent counseling uh, we would do therapy let's say in a group maybe 45 minutes and then we'd have half an hour at least half an hour of parent counseling afterwards and and i was amazed at how how the parents supported each other it was it was so great and also i think a sense of relief for some parents that hey i'm not the only one facing these problems with you know with my child right. but so the first um, parent child group that i had was with mothers and their uh, very young children there were some infants there were some but they were preschoolers all right and that worked very well uh, then I tried uh, parents, um, mothers and their sons, and then mothers, and it didn't matter whether it was, um, uh, you know, the gender didn't matter. And then I thought, though, in my work, in Karen, you may have felt this too, that we do not include fathers enough. That typically what can happen is, okay, the mothers come with their children for therapy. Hey, but where are the fathers? And yet we have far more boys and girls that are referred for treatment. The ratio is usually four boys to one girl. Maybe that changes sometimes, but still, more boys and girls. And we need to have the fathers involved. Hopefully, those boys are going to identify with a male figure. And so I thought, all right, we are going to have a father-son group. And the father-son group, uh, we started out with a very wide age range from five years to 13 years of age. Not ideal. It should have been a, a much narrower age range. But we th that's the way the referrals came, so that's what we did. And we had um, a mixed group. We had some um, of the... Uh, father-son dyads. Some of the children came from our residence group. These are really acting out behavior disordered kids and their fathers 
were there. They uh, okay, and then we had um, we had uh, two Asperger children in that group. Uh, I would say most of the children were um, behavior disordered, made some conduct disordered, and then we had also stepfathers. We had several stepfathers that were really having a hard time connecting with and forming an attachment with their boys. So that's uh, that was sort yes. of a. a our group and we we met um once a week and we met we did uh 45 minutes of therapy and then we did 45 minutes of a discussion uh of really hey what's just happened in the group hoping that the fathers would gain some insight and also i wanted to know hey what was happening at home what was happening in the schools with the kids and um so that that uh, worked very well but i want to i want to add something here when we had the discussion group with the fathers i always served tea and cookies or coffee and cookies mm-hmm. it's very important to be nurturing to your parents and that's one of the ways that we were while we were having a discussion made sure that there was nice goodies for the fathers and, and tea or coffee and i um was wise enough for the father-son group to feel that this really needed to be handled by males, not females. It was a group of fathers and their sons, all males, that we really needed male leaders, and they didn't need me in there. I observed from a one-way mirror. I was a supervisor, and I was so fortunate that I had um, several male uh, interns, externs that were... um, uh, that I, I, I had an intern-extern program of training play, and I had some really terrific people come in to get training. In fact, at one time, one time I had about 22 interns and externs, and there are male and female interns and externs. Anyway, so I had three. Um, no, that first group, it was two. Two male therapists, both were fathers, both understood children, um, both worked with... Uh, you know, uh, one was a social worker, another one was a childcare worker, and they 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 were they work with troubled children. They knew what that was all about, so they led the program. They and um, and I supervised, and that again worked extremely well because at first, for example, can I just carry on here? Yes. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> I do want to ask you before we wrap up about some of the other groups that you're aware okay. of, too. All right. so. So I won't stay forever on this. Okay. Um, so uh, at first, because I videoed everything, you could see that the parents and the, the, the fathers and the son, they're usually, they'd sit by side, sit side by side, but they would, you know, there really was a space between them. As time went on, you'd see a child leaning into their father, or even sometimes even snuggled in with a, with the a father, father's armor on the child. Like that was happening spontaneously. It was mm. so, and um, we uh, we emphasized uh, usually with those groups structure because the children with so many were disobedient and nurture. And before I ever started the group, I had a session just with the parents, to just with the fathers, just so that they knew what their play was going to be all about. And in fact, I had them practice a few things. And then I really asked each one of them, I said, what are your goals? What do you hope will happen? And the, the common goals were, I want, I want to be closer to my son. Mm. 
I want to be closer to my son. And the other thing, I want my son to be more obedient and cooperative with me. And so, you know, that already, you could see the direction that we needed to go, which was structure and nurture, yes, right? Yes. And engagement. We certainly did a lot of yes, engagement. Yes, yes. A little bit of challenge, but, you know. Um, okay. And so, I also, um, Evangeline, if I could add, I remember you also sharing... Um, how you would have two circles, like um, maybe the the fathers were in a circle facing toward outside the circle, and then outside of them, the children were in a circle facing the father. So it was like two circles. Like yeah. sometimes that was how how you would do that, and then you know the leader could be kind of leading the dyads as they're going through some of this. Um, exactly and I, right. Yeah. Yes. What would happen is we'd start out, typically they would march in, we'd do the entrance, whatever it was, okay, choo-choo train, okay, or whatever, and we'd form a circle, we would do a welcome song, um, mentioning, uh, hello, Johnny, hello, Chris, whatever, all around, so, and they were holding hands while we welcomed them, a welcome song, and then we would notice... Uh, then we would have the children. It was the children that sat in the inner circle, okay. and the fathers on the outside. Okay, okay. Also, controlling movement, right? Because you know the children were in a way confined a little bit in that inner circle. Yeah. Although I don't think the children felt confined, but anyway, so the children would sit facing their fathers, the father, and then the fathers would do the checkup, and they would notice something they liked about their child, whatever it was, okay? Um, and then the fathers would do the lotioning of the hurts or the powdering of the hurts of their child's hands. Mm. So right away we're getting into more of the attachment building kind of things and then we then we would do maybe another group activity where something as simple as um um throwing a beanbag to each other and saying hello johnny and johnny would say thank you thank you whatever mm -hmm. you know like that or mm -hmm. maybe tossing a balloon to each other and, and keeping balloons up we would do a group kind of thing that was fun for everyone mm -hmm. then go back we might go back to another uh, dyadic kind of uh, interaction mm, with mm. father and son like one of the things in building the nurturing we had um, uh, a child sit on the lap of the father and the um, child would um, uh, and and the child would close her eyes and the father had a each father had a little plate a little saucer with some sweet food and some bitter food and some sour food and the father would feed this food to the child and the child by expression on their face the father would guess did the child like it or not mm. something simple like that but it meant the child was sitting on the lap of the father and the father had his arm around the child. You know, if you're going to have nurturing things, sometimes you have to kind of do it in an activity where it naturally fits the activity and then people are quite all right to do it. And I think what helped as well, the um, leaders, the two male leaders would demonstrate these activities first. Mm. There you have these two grown men. One is sitting down and another grown man in the lap of this other grown man. <laughs> You know, it was laughable, but but boy, all the children were quite willing, even the 13-year-old, to sit in the lap of their father. Because, you know, really, the modeling had already occurred. So there, there are many, many things to learn yes. on how to do some of this. Yes. But, but these father and we did a number of father son groups. Yeah, I know you're anxious for to go to go to some of the other groups, and I just let me. Yeah. So I, format of this we would at the very beginning say we'll have 12 sessions 
So it wasn't like it go on and on and on. And we would say to the fathers, but we need you here at every session because it's just 12 sessions. Mm-hmm. If you can't do that, let us know now. Okay, so because it was short, 12 sessions, um, everybody pretty well said, yep, they could come. Mm -hmm. And and boy, they did. I remember one time it was like a snowstorm and I thought we should really cancel. And then I thought, you know what? Some people will still come. We'll just have our doors open to whoever comes. They all came. Wow, that really said how important this was to them. It was, and including one had to travel an hour away. They always came. And and, um, they would even come when um, there would be, say, a child was sick. They'd still bring the sick child. And I, I remember saying to one father, you know, Dad, your, your little boy is, is a little bit sick. He maybe should be at home in bed. And the, and the father said the child insisted on coming. Mm-hmm. And so they were there. We had almost 100% attendance. Almost. Oh, it was wow. amazing. Wow. And what the fathers would say spontaneously in some of the discussions afterwards, they would say, this is the most precious time of the whole week for me because mm-hmm. it's just me and my son. Mm-hmm. We would really get feedback like that. It wow. was terrific. And at the end of the of the 12 sessions, a lot of the fathers did not want the sessions to end. It was it was so important to both both child and father. And we saw so much more spontaneous affection. The kids were much more cooperative. You know, I'm painting a glowing picture, Karen, but that's really the way it was. Mm-hmm. It was it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did a number of, um, of father-son uh, groups. Now, there were some uh, fathers and sons that we thought needed individual work, and we would refer them for extra kind of uh, individual work, fair play sessions, you know. But they... But anyway, um, we had um, a, a, such a great success mm. with that, yeah. and I think I think just um, I think more people should try it. <laughs> I agree. You know, I think we could change the world with their play groups. <laughs> I think we could too. <laughs> I, really, I really do. Listen, um, and I, I'm not just saying that. To, I, I'm not I either. Yeah, I believe it. Yes, I believe it too. I do. So, you know, before we wrap up, I know, you know, we'll mention your books at the end and where people can find them, but you have edited several books. So what are, you know, of course, we don't have time to go into detail about the groups, but I'm glad we were able to about this first one because it gives you a a rich example of how powerful this can be. Oh, and one other thing, I'm assuming maybe some of the times that you worked with just the parents, maybe your interns helped with the children because I think listeners might be wondering that. Okay. Oh, yes, they did for sure. Okay. So, and so, um, what what are some other groups that that you are aware of that that have gone on in different places? I'm so glad you asked that question because I was so thrilled with what happened to some of the um, therapists that I taught up north in northern Alberta, very near, in fact, uh, the Nunavut um, uh, border. The Yukon border, as a matter of fact. So the children uh, uh, in in a lot of those schools, this is Fort Vermilion, and I've taught in Fort McMurray, I've taught in Whitehorse, I've taught quite a bit up north anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you know, the therapists there were really working with, oh man, really troubled, troubled um, parents and troubled uh, kids in Fort Vermillion. Um, about 91% of the children were Aboriginal, uh, coming from reserves, living on reserves, where there's lots of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, a lot of um, domestic violence, uh, a lot of suicide, a lot of um, homicide, just really tough, tough kind of backgrounds. And so a lot of these kids were uh, aggressive at school. And so some of the, um, the, the therapists that I had taught Theraplay to started group Theraplay in the schools. And again, it was so successful because the kids, the aggression went down. Mm. And then the, not only did the aggression come down, but during recess, the, the, the children would start to take care of each other, like to take care of their peers. It was so great. And so, of course, the teachers heard about this. Other teachers heard about this. And now, today, there are six schools, that's six different schools, that have every grade from kindergarten right through to grade six. They have group therapy in the classrooms. No, you know, like, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. wonderful. And I, I can imagine it's had a tremendous impact on, um, like you said, lowering aggression and lowering bullying behavior yes. and things like this. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, some of the children that have had group therapy right from kindergarten right to grade six, some of those grade sixes that are now older, pre-adolescent and, and adolescent, they um, are a part of a group of uh, a group therapy again of seniors in, um, in nursing homes, in retirement homes, often that are quite isolated and are now have group therapy with these young kids. Oh, and that's wonderful. Because, you know, one of the things in our society, again, that we don't do very well with, we do not, um, we don't treat our seniors very well. We tuck them away in these nursing homes and retirement homes, and they often don't get to see young children, and yet they want very much to be part of that. And so this is that's that's something else that can be done. Yeah. And I've done, I've done therapy with, with the elderly population, group therapy. It works beautifully. Yes. Uh, especially the nurturing, because they don't get much nurturing. Yes. Um, and just having fun. Yes. So, Oh, listen, I'm an enthusiast of, so, <laughs> of group therapy for all ages. Yeah, so all across the lifespan. And, you know, yeah. it's interesting you should mention that because um, Michelle Robinson, who I worked for, with for a very long time here at Chaddock, is now in California, and she's the director of a nursing home, and she is using a lot of therapy kinds of things in the nursing home, and, and people are really responding well to it, and yes. So, so I have a final question that's not even really about groups, but I'm just thinking, you know, how inspiring I, I am whenever I'm around you and your energy, and you've been at this a long time, right, Evangeline? I have, I have. <laughs> so my question is, what keeps you passionate about this work? All right. What keeps me passionate is that I see the changes and the wonderful effect that it has. Mm -hmm. It amazes me. Mm -hmm. And you know what? As you get older, I'm 84, 
as you get older, it's very easy, you know, to kind of sit back and be lazy and let the rest of the world go by. I'm not like that. Well, <laughs> you know what? I'm not like that. As long as I'm doing something that I think has a positive effect, that is worthwhile, then I feel like I want to do that. And so now I'm not seeing clients directly myself anymore, but I am supervising therapists. I have group supervision. I do individual supervision. Now we can do Zoom so I can supervise someone as far as ways, Turkey, whatever. Uh, and, um, and also I love traveling and so when I do my workshops internationally I get a chance to travel. My husband doesn't like traveling so much so it works well for me. <laughs> Selfishness there but you know. So, but, ther so fair play even saved your marriage right? <laughs> yeah, how did you know? Well because you know what I have an adventuresome spirit and so I do like to travel and I like to you know anyway there you go. Yes. yes. Well, thank you so much, Angela. And it's always such a pleasure to talk with you and hear about your work and your love of, of fair play. And you do have two books that you've edited that have lots of different applications of fair play. And yeah. people can get those on Amazon. Is there yeah. anywhere else? Is that really kind of the best place um, to, well, to get uh, them? or? Amazon and also, of course, the Therapy Institute carries them on, too. But you know, Karen, just before we stop, I do want to say this, that Therapy is um, so effective working with adoptive and uh, foster, foster yes. kids yes. where the attachment is so troubled. Yes. And, and group therapy has um, Norma Fennell, who is not, she, she doesn't live, she, she died. She did a lot of wonderful group therapy with adoptive and foster families. And so I just want to, that's such an important uh, contribution. I do, I do want to mention that. Her work is, she wrote about it in my first book, I think it was. Yes. But that's another really, really uh, important use of group therapy. So... Sorry, what was your question again? <laughs> no, no, that, that, that was all. Um, I, oh, 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 it was just the best place to purchase your books. The best place to purchase it. Yeah, and Amazon is good because okay. the price is reduced. Yeah. All right, very good. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Um, it's been really wonderful to, to hear the amazing ways that, that you've done group therapy and the tremendous impact it's had in in so many regions and different ages of people. So thank you for being with me today, Evangeline. Thank you so much, Karen. Sorry, I can see we almost went three quarters of an hour. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my dear, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, traumaattachmentcenter.com, or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, log on to TraumaAttachmentCenter.com. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, developmental trauma, and attachment theory.